listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Northside, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today we are just filled with gratitude. Lord, even as we have looked back through this video at the past year, we are just grateful, God, for your faithfulness. Lord, we're grateful for your provision for our lives personally, but also for our church. Lord, for your ongoing work that you're doing in our lives and in people's lives, carrying us through even difficult moments, life circumstances, situations people have gone through over the past year. God, you've been good and faithful, even in those moments of great suffering or pain or hardship. Lord, you're with us. You've not abandoned us or forsaken us. You are good. And Lord, as we look forward. It is with anticipation of what you will do, trusting your promises, knowing that you are faithful and good to carry us. And then Lord, right now in this moment, we just want to pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to us, to open our eyes, because Lord, we want to look up to you right now. We want to look up to you and let you speak to us. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from your word and invite you to Speak to our hearts right now so that, Lord, we can hear you and we can obey you. And so we pray that you would do us in the power of your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say, amen. Well, Northside, today we come to the last message of this series we've been going through called Hope in the Face of. And over a number of weeks, ever since Easter, we've been going through the Psalms of Lament. And we've just been encouraging people to just... Lament to God, to bring your complaints, to bring your frustrations, to bring your questions, to bring your hurts, to bring your anger, to bring your emotions, just bring it to God, to just leave it in his hands, just come to him and express it to him and talk to him. And it is my prayer that this series has been helpful to you as we've talked about some heavy things, whether it's death or suicide or weariness or doubt or grief. It's just been one week after another we've been hitting on these difficult things, but just looking at the Psalms of Lament, which make up nearly a third of the Psalms. We've talked about how, hey, complaining about God, that may be rebellion, but complaining to God, that's worship. When we bring to God in those moments, we help tear down the walls that come up between us and God when we're struggling through these things. And these Psalms have just shown us what authentic faith looks like where we, in these moments, address God, not avoid God, wrestle with God, not ignore him. And over the last four weeks, we've talked about grief. We've talked about doubt. And as we conclude this series today, I want to take a moment just to share a real-life story of a gal who lamented to God. In fact, I, I see this almost as a gift to us today, that we could, that she would invite us in, And let us just hear some of her heart as she wrestled with God. As she lamented to him the circumstances that she was going through, the the affliction that she was facing. Jill Lee, and she's pictured here with her husband and her husband Matt and her son Jake. She worked as director of communications for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. 
And she was an accomplished writer and oftentimes was interviewing and writing from the perspective of athletes, both professional and at the collegiate level, about their faith. And in fact, she was the editor of FCA Sharing the Victory magazine. She even published a book by the same name in 2011. Her husband, Matt Lee, he's a very good friend of my youngest brother, Rick, and he's the, the executive vice president of Kansas Christian College. And, uh, and so that's just, it gives you a feel for who we're talking about here. Jill, her husband, Matt, her son, Jake, but Jill, she battled stage four colon cancer. And when things were not improving and they were getting worse, this is a picture of her about the time that she was really lamenting with God, wrestling with God. And I just want to share a post that she made. And I consider it a gift to us because when someone is wrestling with God and they invite us into that, that's a pretty sacred space to enter into. But when things were getting worse, I I want to read to you what she wrote, what she posted. And this is what she said. Is God good? It's been a heavy week, y'all. Despite an awesome Thanksgiving day and a good week with visits from the grandparents, with the liver enzymes still climbing, I've been forced to wrestle with some big questions. While I think I wrestled with them a little in the beginning of all this cancer stuff, I also know I spent more time living in the hope, living in hope as the numbers all trended the right way from the beginning. It was a scary time, but it was hopeful. But now things are different. I'm already battle weary and the enemy looks to be gaining ground. It's a new place. I've never been here before and I'm scared. So many of you have encouraged me and said how inspiring my faith has been. And while I absolutely get so much fuel from that and never want it to stop, please don't stop. I also want to make sure I'm completely real. I waver. I struggle. I battle for faith at times. In this new territory, I've been forced to ask God some huge and direct questions and present him with very real emotions. The biggest of my questions has been this. Where is the goodness of God if I die before Jake is old enough to remember me? How on earth is that good? I don't know, you guys. I, I know the answer to it in my head, but I don't feel it in my heart much of the time. In my heart, I'm angry. I don't want to think about leaving Jake and Matt and all of my friends and family behind when there's seemingly so much life left to be lived. There's a reoccurring mental image picture that haunts me, and that's of Jake standing in his crib yelling for mama, and I'm not there. How is that good? I've sobbed and wailed before God with this, and the problem is that there's no answer that I want to hear. Because you know what the answer is is that I don't see the big picture. Yes, God is good. Yes, God is loving. Yes, he's faithful. And he's the only one who sees both beginning and end. My days are numbered. All of ours are. We aren't going to live forever. And at whatever point he chooses to call me home, I have to trust that it's the best timing for everything and everyone. That's hard, unbearably hard at times. But you guys, this is faith. This is where the rubber meets the road. Do I believe God when I don't want to? Do I believe God when I can't even begin to understand his plan? Do I believe what I've said I believe? Yes, I do believe it. And it hurts. It almost feels like I've given God consent to let me die when I say I want his plan over my own. 
Like, okay, God, it's all good. I know your plan is best, so just go ahead and take me whenever. But that's not the case. The case is more like Matthew 26, 39. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. In this passage, Jesus was about to be crucified and he knew it. And you know what? He didn't want to do it. He was so distraught about it that he swept blood, Luke 22. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, Matthew 26. He was not okay. I can just imagine his hands trembling, his breath short. He was not okay with about what was about to happen. But he trusted his father. He knew Father God had a bigger plan in mind. He knew that by his death, the souls of men would be saved. And because of the bigger picture, it was worth it. He submitted his own desires and he went forward in faith. In many ways, I've never truly identified with Jesus until cancer. There have been times when I felt him sitting with me as I cried out to the Father. I I don't want to, but not as I will, but you will. And I just have to keep repeating that. There's no way around it. This is hard stuff. But in a conversation with my friend and fellow colon cancer survivor, Daniel Ripley Burgess, also the author of Blush, it was brought to my attention that the fact that I'm even being honest with God about this is a good thing. I'm not brushing the emotions aside. I'm not plowing through with blinders on. I'm digging in and asking him questions. I'm being honest. And I know he wants that because by doing this, I keep any walls from being formed from with him, which I know wouldn't be helpful. It's a daily battle. My most mornings, I'm filled with hope and faith. Most nights, I crumble in tears in my bed and beg for him for more time here on this earth because I do not want to leave yet, but not as I will. It's been very cool, truly awe-inspiring, actually, has been the ways in which he's answered my cries. I have a great devotional about suffering called Streams in the Desert, and more than probably eight times, he's answered my direct words with an answer through that book, like verbatim. I will say something and then go to the book and find that phrase or question, repeat it back to me with encouragement regarding faith. He hears me. He knows my heart. I personally don't believe he wants me to be going through cancer, but it's like I've said before, a product of the world we live in. Could he heal me? Yes. Am I asking him for that? Yes. Will I receive it here on earth? Don't know. But one thing I do know. Yes, God is good. While it may be a daily fight to believe that, I will continue to. I can't help it. I've seen his hand in so many real ways in my life that to stop believing it now would be to deny everything that he's done for me for the last 40 years. He's good. God is good. Whether we get that, whether we get what we ask for or not, he is who he says he is. And she went, she listened. He's love. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's a healer. He's faithful. He's, he's powerful. He's truthful. He's merciful. He's a creator. He's light and salvation. He's forgiving. He's a redeemer. She listened all. She says, there's so many more attributes I could list here, but this is who I am to trust. How can I not? I already believe in him. And if I believe in him, then I can believe him. Period. I have to. So here's where I'm at right now, she says. I'm wrestling. I'm fighting. But I'm fighting. 
I'm actually wrestling with these things and trying to allow God to speak into these deep places. If there's one thing I can encourage you today, it's this. Take your stuff to God. You don't have to arrive at an answer. You don't have to get a letter from him with a bow on it telling the details of his plan. But when you wrestle with these things and keep going, he will reveal himself to you. Sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly. But that's what's happening for me right now. As I present these things to him, he's speaking into them through a variety of methods. Keep going, guys. God is good. Jill Lee of Overland Park, Kansas, passed away June 12th, 2021, at the age of 41. Her husband, Matt, has been wrestling with God through his grief, and someday I think that would be a powerful story to share. But I share these words from Jill, a gift from her that she would even share it with us. Because in these words, we just get a sneak peek into how she was lamenting to God and what that was accomplishing, what it was doing, that she was doing what the psalmists say to do, take your stuff to God. That when you do that, when you take your stuff to God and you wrestle with God instead of avoiding him, when you do this and, and you it's somehow in the midst of that keep believing and, and trusting, she was just resolved to trust him no matter what she was going through. Her longing for going to him was that there wouldn't be walls formed between her and God by lamenting her affliction. She was wrestling with belief instead of losing it. She was doing what Psalm chapter 6 and 13 and 88 and other Psalms that we've covered say to do that where you cry out to God and just say, my soul is in anguish. How long? Lord. She lamented to him. She wrestled with belief instead of wrestling without it. And the reason that's so important is because the greatest struggle to our faith is going to be in our mind. The greatest stronghold we face is false thinking. And one of the reasons we've been going through these Psalms of Lament and talking about hope in the face of is so that we would have right thinking. That when we are going through the stronghold of affliction or the stronghold of our circumstances, that in those moments we would... Go to God with those things. Because in that moment, God uses it. In that moment, he gives us what we need. The greatest temptation we face in our faith is in our mind. It's it's what we believe. Craig Rochelle says it this way. He says, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we think shapes who we are. One of the greatest dangers to our faith is our thought life. That's why in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul would write there in verses 4 through 5 that that the weapons we got to fight with, the weapons we fight with, are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. The weapons we have got to have divine power if we're going to demolish these strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. See, that's, that's where the battle is. It's in our mind that the knowledge of God is under attack. And, and so we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ because that's the greatest stronghold battle that we're going to face in our lives. 
The word stronghold is translated from a Greek word that means to, to fortify. It often referred to a, a, a city that was on a hill surrounded by a wall that oftentimes could be up to 20 feet thick. That was a stronghold. They just seemed like it was impossible to penetrate. And Paul says we have strongholds in our life that we can't do in our own strength. We're not going to overcome these with the weapons of the world. We're not going to fight with armor or with politics or with money or in humanistic ways. He's talking bigger than that. Spiritual weapons that have divine power is going to come from the Holy Spirit. It's going to come from God. How do we do this? By taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. And we get a sneak peek into how Jill was doing that as she was lamenting her affliction, her disease and cancer that she was battling. Because a stronghold means mental block. We come up against these mental blocks whenever we see the evil one continuing to plant seeds of, of doubt and destruction into our minds. We have mental, emotional, physical strongholds that are attacking our lives. And these false beliefs and sins and habits and addictions and hang-ups and worries and, and anxieties over time, they just build this thick wall in our lives that we come up against that can be so intimidating And the only hope we have is if we are leaning into the one, the God who has the divine power to demolish them, to to take them down. So we dare not face them on our own and say, God, I'm so angry, I'm just going to do this by myself. No, we lament to God so that his power can help us overcome them. Those who try to do it in their own strength, they fall, they fail. And so we take these thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. This is why we've been encouraging you to pray your laments. Pray through the Psalms. I don't know if you've been practicing that or doing that, but it's the only way to overcome strongholds in our life. We've got to pray these laments, pray these psalms. If we want to overcome the stronghold of false thinking, we need to pray laments. We need to lament to God. If we're going to overcome the the stronghold of sin in our life, we're going to have to lament to God. And as I close this series today, and even as I close this sermon, this message right now, I, I don't want us to finish without acknowledging the great stronghold of our life that's destroying us. It's the stronghold of sin. I think it's appropriate that we end this series by realizing we're not just going to lament our circumstances, but we're going to lament our sins. David does this in Psalm chapter 51. In fact, if you have a Bible or device, I'd like for you to open up to that right now, to Psalm chapter 51. We're going to read the whole chapter right now. It's a psalm of individual lament. It is a penitential psalm. That means it's a psalm of confession. And as David is giving this, you're going to notice in Psalm 51, when you open your Bible to that text, that the superscript of that psalm, the superscription of that psalm says that that David wrote it, he used it, after he was confronted with his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. And we know the story from that, from Second Samuel chapter 11, following when, when King David sees this beautiful woman and he sees her bathing on her roof and he is tempted and, and lusts after her and he doesn't fight that stronghold in his mind and instead he sleeps with her, commits adultery with her. She becomes pregnant with his child and so he has her husband murdered who's off to war murdered on the front lines to conceal and hide his sin. It's been almost a year of him hiding that when it comes out in Psalm chapter 51. 
It's been almost a year from that of his hiding and his cover up. And because of that, he, he is struggling. David even describes it in Psalm 32 as his bones are wasting away. Physically, he's exhausted. He's racked with guilt and anxiety and worry and regret. And he lacks strength to go on. And so when he's confronted by the prophet Nathan, this is his response. It's Psalm 51. It's confession. It's long overdue. And I'd like us just to stand to our feet right now as we read this text together. Let's let the word of God wash over us. May David's lament become our lament. May his prayer be our prayer. May his confession be our confession. We too are often slow to confess. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Oh, I, let me say, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O oh God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Amen. Church, you may be seated. And as we reflect on this text from the Lord, I, I think David just knows. He knows three things about his God. He knows three things about God. His unfailing love, his mercy, and his compassion. God is a God of unfailing love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of compassion. And it's because he knows that about God, who he is, that David knows that he could receive three things. And he's crying for this. He's calling out for this. He's begging God for this. He's pleading that God will, first of all, blot out my transgressions. That means remove from the record my rebellion, my lists of rebellious activities. God, just blot it out. Remove it from the record. He knows God's able to do that. Blot out my transgressions, my list of rebellions. And then he says, wash away my iniquity, like a clothing that's being washed. Lord, wash away the perverseness of my spirit. Wash it away. Blot it out. 
And then he says, cleanse my sins. Cleanse me. This is like the ceremonial cleansing so that he's purified, so that he might be able to be in right standing with God so he can enter in to worship him at his tabernacle or his temple. God, purify, cleanse me, wash me, blot out from the record my rebellious sins, my perverse spirit. And this confession from David is so long overdue. He's been in a year of hiding. That's why in verse three, he says, my sin is ever before me. I mean, it's like every day he was feeling the oppression of this. He never dealt with his guilt. And that guilty conscience just immobilized him. Other passages would even indicate that he was ill. This passage talks about his bones being crushed. It's how he feels because he's not dealt with the stronghold of sin in his life. And whenever you don't deal with the stronghold of sin, it just becomes more and more oppressive over time. Even when you try to ignore it, repress it or suppress it, it it reveals itself in so many ways. It will always keep you longer than you want to stay and it'll do more damage than you ever dreamed. So David just pleads with God. And as he pleads to him for his washing, cleansing, blotting out, we see one of the most comprehensive descriptions of God's gracious activity toward us when we confess, when we repent. This confession of David leads to one of the most comprehensive descriptions of God's activity toward us when we do that. When David just kind of goes through this list of things that he's going to receive, he's asking for God to give him as a result of this. Like in verse 7, he says, Then, Lord, when you do this, then I'll be whiter than snow. You don't often feel that way. If you are one of those people who have confessed and repented of your sins and you've been baptized into Christ, we know from Acts 2 forward throughout the entire New Testament, you, you've already been forgiven. There's already been a moment of surrender. That's why whenever you constantly feel like, if I died, when I go to heaven? Can God really forgive me for that thing I did? That's not from the Holy Spirit. That's from the evil one. The Holy Spirit makes you whiter than snow. And David knows and feels that this is going to happen. I'll be whiter than snow. Verse 8, you'll experience joy and gladness again. Joy and sin cannot occupy your heart at the same time. If, if you're walking in sin and you're not confessed, you're not going to experience joy. He says, then I'll have a renewed spirit within me. We need a renewed spirit. He says, then the Holy Spirit, he, he knows the Holy Spirit's presence. He pleads for it to stay with him. That's in contrast to what happened to the king before him, Saul, who continued to rebel, rebel, stubborn resistance against the Lord. And finally, the Holy Spirit was taken from him. David says, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I've seen what that leads to. I've seen it in the one who preceded me. He pleads for that not to happen. David knows in verse 12 that the joy of his salvation will be restored. He had lost his joy. Like a vacuum cleaner, sin will just suck joy right out of your life. And David says, God, if you would do these things, if you'd forgive me, if you would act with mercy and compassion as I know that's who you are, then I know in that moment I can be useful for you. God, in that moment, I, I, can, I can grow the kingdom for you. I can be a part of your plan. And that, that's what David's response is. That's what I want you to notice. When, when you know that God is a God of compassion and, and of loving kindness and mercy... And you come to him and you ask him to blot out and you ask and you confess that he, he would cleanse and you ask him to wash. You can be useful to God again. So David is. Here's what he says I'll do. God, here's what I'll do in response. I will tell others. I will proclaim. I will speak to others 
of your ways. I'll speak of your grace. When unconfessed sin is in our life, it distances us from God and from other people. But when David comes clean and confesses, all of a sudden he's now useful for the kingdom again. When he acknowledges his sin and comes to the Father, he's like, I'll proclaim it to other people. I'll tell them about who you are and what you've done. That's what we can do. We can tell others of God's grace. And then in verses 14 through 15, David commits that, that when, when God does these things, when he heals and washes and blots out in that moment, he's going to sing a song and it's going to be a praise to God of, for his righteousness. I'll proclaim and sing of your righteousness. I'll have a new song to sing. And then in verses 16 to 17, David promises to sacrifice to God a broken and contrite heart. That there's not just a moment of surrender, there's this practice of surrender. And David's going to come to the Father with a broken heart, a contrite heart. That means a spirit of repentance and humility before the Lord. You see, that's, that's what should always follow confession. It's repentance. Repentance must always follow confession. Repentance is a changing of the mind. I was thinking this way, but I'm going to go this way. The Bible says we were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. The stronghold is in our mind. And so he, he knows that this is what God's going to do. He's, that, that, that he will not despise his penitent heart. And here's the question I would ask. How do we know that David was forgiven? Because Psalm 51 doesn't say that. That we just read it doesn't say he was forgiven. So how does he know he's forgiven? Here's how we know. Because in the actual story, the event of 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David says to Nathan the prophet, I've sinned against the Lord when he was being called out. And Nathan the prophet replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. The Lord's taken away your sin. You're not going to die. Psalm 32, 5, which is believed that this text was also written in response to David's sin with Bathsheba, says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity any longer. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. When we confess, he forgives. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If you confess your sins to him, he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. This is what confession leads to, a right relationship with God. The stronghold of false thinking in our mind is overcome whenever we confess our sins and we come to the Lord and we are forgiven and we are purified and we are healed and those sins are blotted out and we are cleansed and we are washed. This is what God does in our lives. So Psalm 51 just shows us that even the vilest offender, it can be adultery and murder and deception and lying and cheating. It can be all of these things. Even the vilest offender can experience God's forgiveness and grace and be washed and cleansed and have sins blotted out. The vilest offender can. Psalm 51 reveals that to us. But Psalm 51 reveals something else. That when we confess, when we repent and we come to the Lord, we then become useful for him. Useful for the kingdom. Useful for God. And whenever we live in sin and we continue to fail to confess it, whenever we allow strongholds to take root and we don't lament to God and cry out to God so that he can overcome that with his divine power. When we don't take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus, then we're not as useful. But if we will, we are useful for him. It shows us that we've been saved to serve. 
You've been forgiven. That means you're on mission. If you've been restored to the joy of your salvation, then it impacts how you live and how you walk and you have a responsibility to share it with others just as David committed to do. That if we're going through the stronghold of affliction or the stronghold of false thinking, the way out of it, the way to overcome it is by going to the one who can demolish every stronghold with the divine power that we cannot achieve in our own strength. And we come and we lament to him. We cry out to him. We confess to him because only God can overcome it. And today I, I just pray as we kind of wrap up this series today that you would lament to God. And today you would begin your lament by just confessing, confessing your sins to him. Using this as an opportunity to speak directly to God the things that he brings to your mind right now that you have held back It's long overdue. You should be confessing this to the Lord right now. And so I I just want to invite you in this moment to just close your eyes and bow your head just where you are to spend some time between you and the Lord. Maybe for you, you even want to go to your knees right now, wherever you are, if you're able to do that. To just spend some time confessing, lamenting, Bring your sin, your hurt, your afflictions, your circumstances, your frustrations, your anger to the Lord. And that you would just confess to him. It's so long overdue, just confess to him right now. The sin has been building up walls between you and him. the false thinking that's been leading you away from him, not towards him. The lies of the evil one that have been tempting you to live in unbelief instead of living in faith. That you have not taken every thought captive and made obedient to Jesus. So Jesus, we confess to you. Our sin is ever before us. Jesus, only you can blot it out and wash it away and create us a clean heart. So we pray for that. And we believe, Jesus, that we, you will not despise a broken and contrite heart. That's how we come to you right now, humbly, penitent. And Lord, as people who have received your forgiveness, your cleansing, Lord, I pray right now that you would just put on our mind and our heart right now, just like you did for David, the person that we could share this with. Just as he said, I will proclaim and I will sing and I will tell, Lord, we must as well. Lord, give us someone, bring them to our mind right now that we could share with them 
not just what you did for David, what you've done for us. We could share with them Psalm 51. That Lord, this, when we come to you, that you can blot it out. You can forgive us and heal us. You're a God of compassion and love and mercy. And so we come to you. And I just want to pray that you'd put in our minds someone we could share this with. And then God, like David, you would give us the courage to share our story, to talk about what you've done for us, how you paid the price to redeem us and save us. That's the gospel. I pray that you'd give us an opportunity to do that this week. So Lord, we confess and we share. We lament our sin. We tell others. And then Lord, like David, we just want to sing. We want to sing to you, God, of your righteousness and your mercy and your love and your compassion and what you have done. We want to tell it. And I pray that we would go do that this week in the power in the name of Jesus. May that divine power demolish the strongholds in our minds. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Northside, as you stand to your feet, if you're in this room or even if you're watching online right now, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. And perhaps that's just by reaching out for prayer. And you can do that with the connection card in the seat in front of you. You could do that if you want to make a decision for Jesus or perhaps you want to become a part of this church family or talk or pray. I would love to meet you right over here at Decision Point, which is to your right through these doors at the front of the room. And but also I want you to know that right now our prayer team, who's already been praying for you and with many of you throughout the morning, they're going to be stepping down here to the sides in the front and to the sides of the room, and they're here to pray with you. And I want to encourage you to go to them. It is in prayer that God moves powerfully in our lives. I want to encourage you to go to them and just pray with them right now, even as we sing. And let's just lift up our voices right now to declare what God has done. And we'll respond in this way. As you leave today... If you'd like to give your offerings or your tithes to the Lord, you can do that with the information on the screen or the boxes at the back of the room. But let this be our moment of response, that we would respond like David did. We would sing, we would tell, we would share, we would lament, we would pray, we would confess. Let's do that now. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.